may we never feel like or make other people feel like it's only women who are restricted. All of us are restricted. And sometimes we don't act like it. We act like, you know, you're restricted, but I'm not. I can do whatever I want to, but you can't. Like we only talk about quote unquote women's roles in a restrictive sense. Like here's what you're not allowed to do. Well, sort of a one-sided, upside down, backwards way of having that conversation. Paul is presenting what he's saying in the context of the restriction he's putting on everybody. Welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I'm Travis Pauly, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. Each week I visit with Wes McAdams, minister and author, and together we explore biblical passages and topics. I hope you enjoy this study. All right, Wes, we're back. We are back. Good to be recording again. Yeah, we got another question. Okay. I know this one is quite controversial. It is a little controversial. We've we've had quite a few controversial questions. We're on kind of a string of controversial questions. People are trying to get us in trouble, I think. (laughs) This is from Charles. He says, Wes, is it right or wrong for women to serve the communion as long as they're not leading prayer or reading scripture? Thanks, brother. That's nice. He threw in a thanks, brother, at the end. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I, and it is a is a very relevant question, and I mm-hmm. think it, it it's one that comes up a lot. And I and I think that, um, you know, I I, I want to kind of go beyond the borders of this question to to really touch on how we interpret scripture, because I think that this touches on an interesting an interesting question that that we we sometimes forget. <laughs> that scripture doesn't answer every question that we ask. That sometimes we have created situations, whether that's because of our culture that we live in or because of our religious traditions, we've created a situation that is unique to our time, or at least is not the same as it was uh, in biblical times. A few podcasts ago, we talked about baptism. One of the questions that we ask a lot now is, you know, can I be saved without being baptized? Well, that's not a question that they were asking in the first century. It's only a question that we're asking now because we've been through 2,000 years of religious debate and pendulum swinging from one end to the other. And and so we've created a, a culture and we've created a context in which that question makes sense. This question that's being asked by Charles, and again, is relevant given our situation today, was not a relevant question in the first century. Mm. Um, I mean, if you think about the way that probably the house church was situated, um, most of the congregations, and I I just threw out the term house church uh, as if we all are on the same page about that, but if you think about the fact that from what we know by both reading scripture and from tradition and um, and history, that very few of the early churches met um, outside of a home context. And mm-hmm. so most of the, the first century churches probably met in a home. I mean, there may have been some that the entire synagogue became followers of Jesus or the majority of the synagogue became followers of Jesus. And so they began, they met in, in the synagogue. Maybe that happened. Yeah. Um, it seems like the church in Antioch was huge, um, I don't know where they met, but it seems like there were a lot of disciples. Yeah. Luke goes out of his way to explain how many um, disciples, or that there were a lot. There were many followers of Jesus in in Antioch, um, and so maybe they met in a, res- a rented facility, or maybe they met outside, or I don't know where they met. But um, but most of the churches um, 
met in homes. And so we find throughout um, Scripture, and, and we know from, from tradition and history, that a lot of churches were small, and they were a few families or a few individuals that gathered together in a home. Um, Paul makes several references to people or to churches that meet in someone's house. And so you think about what that must have been like, and it, it certainly wasn't the the situation or the setting that we have in mind today. It right. wasn't, you know, rows. It wasn't pews. It wasn't, you know, a podium. It wasn't— Stage. It, right. There was no stage. There was no, you know, up front and back in the back. There was none yeah. of that. It and was— no microphone. Right. No microphone. You know, so the, there's a big difference between our context today and, and, our, and the context back then. That doesn't mean either one is right or wrong. Mm-hmm. It just means the setting was very different. And you think about what it would be like and, and what it is even now. I mean, I don't know if the listeners have all worshipped um, in other settings, but I have. I mean, I've worshipped in homes. I've met a lot of times in homes. Um, I, I've even met one Sunday morning. I was climbing a mountain with other disciples of Jesus, and we met on the top of a mountain out on a flat place, and we just passed the communion around. There was nobody serving. There were no golden trays. I know our trays are not golden, but um, (laughs) they're not gold anyway. Uh, They may be golden. Uh, There there were no trays. There were, you know, it might've been a paper plate with some, you know, with the bread on there. And, you know, I I think, um, I I hope nobody is offended by the fact that we took the cup was actually a juice box. I'm sure it was 100% (laughs) real juice, uh, but we squeezed it out of a juice box. So we were, we were not a one cup congregation, but we were a one box box that morning. We were a one box church. Um, So the setting um, in which the Lord's Supper happens, the setting in which communion happens, um, helps determine how how it happens, how it, it, uh, how it all plays out. I mean, I've, I've also worshiped, uh, several times. Um, we would have devotional settings on a Sunday morning, um, before we would go to camp when I was doing youth ministry. And, uh, we would like sit around in a circle, uh, in, in the fellowship hall. We all sat, you know, maybe 30 people sitting around in a circle and I would pass out, uh, styrofoam cups, uh, with the juice and we would pass around a plate of, of bread. And, and so there was nobody, there were no servers, there were no, nobody passing out the the plates. And had there been someone that, you know, hey, would you grab that plate and hand it to us? Like, nobody would have thought of that. Right. It wasn't an appointed position. Right. It wasn't a position. It wasn't yeah. a role in the worship assembly. So our setting, because most of our churches are set up the way that they are, and because we've decided that we're going to distribute the bread and the cup the way that we have decided to do that, a lot of our churches have men that stand up front and hold the trays and then pass down the aisles and and pass it out to everybody. And because of our our setting and our situation, that those passers <laughs> have almost become a role right. in in the assembly. Um, it's almost become a position of leadership, although it's really more like servantship. Mm-hmm. So the question is, is it right or wrong? Well, I mean, we could just as easily ask, is it right or wrong that men do that? Is it right or wrong yeah. that anybody does it? Is it yeah. right or wrong that we have those positions at all? It's it's only out of seeming necessity, and I use that word loosely, necessity, um, that we've had anybody doing that. We've just said, hey, we need somebody to pass these trays out. And so, you know, we've set up men to, to pass out those trays. Yeah. And so who should do that? Well, 
I mean, we really, there's just nothing in Scripture about that, about the people that are handing out the food. I mean, that that's not even discussed at all. Um, very little is even said about the person presiding over the Lord's table. That is an interesting thing. Justin Martyr, who was a second-century Christian and wrote about the the assembly, he actually talked about the presider. He he. In most translations, he's called the president, uh, which is interesting. It just means the person who was presiding over the communion. And so he talked about the president will do this and the president will do that. Uh, so he talks about uh, the, the person who presides over uh, the Lord's Supper, um, that, that Thanksgiving meal, um, the communion. Um, but, you know, even there, there's nothing really said he does talk about those that would take the communion to people that couldn't assemble, and so they would have uh, men, servants that would go and take that. But nothing is said about people passing out the trays. So we just have this unique situation and setting and context in which we're saying, oh, who should be those people? Well, I mean, you know, on on the one hand, there's really, there's there's nothing, there's no guiding um, instructions for that. Mm Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I think there's a, a relevant discussion, and and the broader question about this is about women's roles in the church. Yeah. Um, there's there's a couple passages we could read. First um, Corinthians 14. Um, in First Corinthians 14, he's talking about the exercising of spiritual gifts. Um, he's talking about prophets and those who can speak in tongues and those who interpret those who are speaking in tongues, and he gives very specific instructions. And Paul is is really clear. Um, in fact, here, here this is this is a good little Bible study side note. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, 26, he says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Now, it's interesting, the, the way that that reads in English is kind of ambiguous. Mm-hmm. In fact, it almost sounds like he's saying, when you come together, everyone should have a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. But that's not what it says in Greek. Mm. That would be an imperative to say yeah. everyone should have this. He's not. That's not an instruction he's giving. He's not saying everyone should have a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. He's not instructing that. He's he. What he says is actually an indicative. He's saying this is the situation. When you come together, everybody wants to talk. Like that, that's really what he's saying. He's saying, when, when you come together, here's the situation and here's the problem is that you all get here and everybody thinks that they can sing a song or give a lesson or have a revelation or speak in a tongue or give an interpretation and you can't. Like that, I mean, when you read the whole context, right. he's saying you can't do that. He says it's not edifying for everybody to talk. Right. And so he gives very specific instructions and says when you come together, it has to be orderly. And, and we, we need some, for lack of a better term, we need some rules for the assembly. And so he goes, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn. Well, wait, let I me, mean, let's just think about that for a second. So Paul doesn't mean only two or three at a time. He means only two or three in the assembly. He's like, every Sunday when you come together, every first day of the week when you gather, if you're going to have tongue speaking, and, and, you know, here, I mean, that's not, you know, we could have a whole conversation about tongue speaking, but, you know, he means if somebody is speaking in a language through the Spirit, and then somebody's going to interpret that, and he talks about the interpretation as well, he says only two or three 
and he means in the assembly. Like the, your, your entire time of getting together, there shouldn't be more than two or three. Not everybody needs to get up here. And even if you have that gift, even if you have that ability, right. if, you, if you're not one of the two or three, then he, he says, if we keep reading, let there only be two or at most three and each in turn, so one at a time, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. So it doesn't matter. If you have this ability, it doesn't matter. If you say, I got a word for the from the Lord, I have a tongue that I need to speak. If there's nobody to interpret and there's more than three of you, some of you got to keep your mouth shut. Just yeah. stop. Don't, well, just for practical reasons. Right, for practical reasons. Otherwise, you might go on too long and somebody fall out of a window. <laughs> right. You don't want to be like Eutychus. That's right. And so Paul is very specific about giving these instructions to say that it's not edi- what's happening right now in that you all think that you can say something in the assembly. It's not edifying to the church. And so some of you, in fact— depending on how many there are, most of you need to keep silent. And so he tells the tongue speakers, if there's no interpreter, they need to keep silent. Then he says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And so he says, listen, even if you have a revelation from God, yeah. you can't all share it, period. And you don't need to have any outbursts. There doesn't need to be an outburst. If there's somebody speaking a word from God, then the rest of you need to keep your mouth shut and listen to him. And if you have something that needs to be said, you can say it in turn, but you don't all get to show up and you don't all get to speak. Some of you need to listen while others speak. And that's the way it needs to be. And he says, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. I can't imagine what the church at Corinth must have been like. There were divisions. There were all kinds of problems that he deals with in in this letter. But apparently it was confusing. Apparently it wasn't edifying. Apparently what was going on was just sort of chaos. And then he says, and he actually modifies this with the phrase, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. And by that, he means in the assembly. Now, I mean, we could just pick on that one, but again, it's part of a larger context to say, most of you, (laughs) most of you need to be quiet and listen. Yeah. Coming here is about being edified by a word from the Lord. And some of you are going to get the opportunity to share something from the Lord. And some of you are not. And you just need to be quiet. And, and so it's really not that big of a shift for him to say the women are part of those that need to be quiet. And if there's no interpreter for the tongue speakers, y'all need to be quiet. And if there's too many prophets, y'all need to be quiet. And while another prophet's speaking, y'all need to be quiet. And so, I mean, he goes down the list and he's pretty much telling everybody, you all need to be quiet and you need to all not come to the assembly assuming you get to say something. Mm. Now, but we also need to say that what he's saying, and I think this is in, you know, in agreement with what Paul says in first Timothy about women in the assembly is, is simply, it's not about the value of women for sure. Right. 
It's not about whether or not women are smart or spiritual or able to speak or have something to say, or it's not about any of those things. It's not about, you know, it's not about men and women. It's just about saying, and and I think again in First in Timothy, that the idea that there is a distinction in roles, not a hierarchy of roles, it's not that mm-hmm. men are more important and women are less important. It's not about that. It's just about that there's a distinction in gender roles. We, we live in a culture now that's questioning that premise, but I think that we could all probably admit for the vast majority of human history, there has been a premise and an assumption that there is a distinction in gender, that right. there that there are men and there are women, and there's a difference between men and women anatomically and in other ways, and that they have distinct roles. Um, and biologically, you know, childbirthing is not something I can do, right. you know, and so that that's a role of women, you know, I, I'm not being uh, dismissive of women by, or of men by saying this is a role of women and this is a role of men. And, and Paul, you know, by the, the, inspiration of the Holy Spirit is is going along with that line of thinking, that there is a distinction between the yeah. roles of men and the roles of women. We can debate whether you like that or not, but but that seems to be where Paul's coming from. And part of that distinction is about the role of men speaking and teaching and leading in the assembly. Yeah. I mean, we could say a lot about whether or not women led or taught or you know were part of I mean, Priscilla and Aquila— both taught the preacher Apollos in a setting other than the assembly. So, I mean, there were women in biblical times who taught and who instructed and were part of teaching and instructing. There were women that were incredibly important. Phoebe was a person that that uh, that Paul recommended to the church in Rome and who was an incredibly important person who was a, a patron of Paul and supported his work and ministry. So, I mean, there's all kinds of things that the New Testament has to say about the importance and the significance and the spirituality of yeah. women. So this isn't about whether or not women have value and importance and significance. And I hope that we never, and I know that we have, and I'm, by we I mean the church and Christians in general, have demeaned women, and, and that, but that's not what Paul is doing at all. Right. Um, and so really what the New Testament has to say about women's role in the assembly— during that one or two hours or whatever we assemble together to worship and edify one another, to worship God and edify one another, um, is really about women taking a teaching leading role. Like, I mean, there's all kind. Now we have settings where there's all kinds of other things. Like, well, what about women picking up cards, or what about women running the AV system, or what about women passing out trays? It's like, right. well, I mean, there's just nothing said about that. Yeah. And so, all of those things are matters of discernment and wisdom, and and matters for congregations to to weigh those things and say, well. You know, that role didn't exist in the first century, whether or not a woman could run the AV system. That wasn't a thing, nor was handing out trays of communion bread. Um, that that wasn't a thing, but now it's a thing. And so now we have to decide how are we going to, um, given the fact that there is a difference in dis- a distinct role for men and for women yeah. um, in, in the church, in life, um, you know, is that appropriate? Well, okay. I mean, that that's a legitimate question. And yeah. and there's all kinds of legitimate questions like that, that, you know, given our, our setting that we've created out of tradition or necessity or whatever, 
um, how do we take the principles that we find in Scripture, and I again, I do find in Scripture the principles of male spiritual leadership, um, that that's, that's part of our role in the church is to teach and lead um, elders and preachers and, you know, and husbands and, you know, and, and then I also find significance and value and, and, and roles for women that, that are equally as important and equally as, you know, uh, as significant as the roles for men. Um, but, but I do see a difference between those two things. Should there be a difference and a distinction for handing out trays of communion bread? Well, I, yeah. I don't know. That's, yeah. that's a question for every congregation to decide. And again, part of it might be, well, what does the, what does the building look like? What does right. the room look like? What, what are, what are you saying? But I think, I think there's a, I think, that both sides have to be understanding as they have this conversation. Yeah. You know, if those that are pushing for women to hand out, you know, hand out the bread and the cup, wh- why? You know, what, what, um, what are you, what are you sort of looking for? What, what, what value do you think that will bring? Um, what, where, what are your goals with that? What are you trying to achieve with that? With those that are preventing that from happening you know why are you trying to prevent that from right. happening and right. are there legitimate um you know conversations that that groups could have around that i think there are i think that there are, are good conversations for that i think that if we're if we're trying if if we're using that as a stepping stone towards um erasing the distinction between right. gender roles setting a precedent uh, yeah right exactly and uh, if we're if we're trying to move towards saying there's no difference between men and women i i think i mean again this is west but i think that i think that's foolish mm-hmm. i i think i think that our culture i think that we're living in a culture that is very confused when it comes to I'm not saying anybody that's asking this specific question is confused. Yeah. I'm saying in the broader picture, in a world that says there's no difference between men and women, yeah. and that everything men do, women should do, and everything that women do, men should do, I think that we're going to pay a, a, a price for that. Yeah. I think that we live in a very gender-confused world. In fact, I mean, we're, we've gotten to the point where we don't even know what prepositions to use for people, mm. and it, 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 and I think even even the secular people are starting to poke fun at that and are yeah. starting to realize, well, I mean, how are we going to do that? Like, what are your preferred pronouns? And I right. mean, how how are you even going? So we live in we live in that context. We live yeah. in that sort of. So if if we're asking these questions so that we move towards that. I think that's a dangerous thing to do. I think it's unwise. I think that I don't think there's anything to be ashamed in to say women are valuable and important and significant and spiritual and good. Femininity is good and it's right. And there's a distinction between what a man is and what a woman is, and both are equally important and significant. But if we try to blend that and and make that and erase that distinction in an effort uh, to move towards equality, I'm all for equality. What I'm not for is erasing distinctions. Mm-hmm. Things can be distinct and equally important at the same time. Yeah. Um, and if in our efforts to 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 
to show that we believe that, mm-hmm. that, that everybody's equally important and significant, we, we move towards erasing distinctions. I think that's, that's probably, in the grand scheme of things, um, unwise. But what we, what we do need to, we need to be very careful. I'll say on the other side, we need to be very careful that we're not arbitrarily mm. keeping things away from people. You know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll use running the AV as a, as a, you know, as a example, um, cause that's a little bit different. It's still in the assembly. Um, and, and so like I've been at congregations that say, nope, the, the AV needs to be run by men and not by women. And I've been at congregations that said, no, it doesn't matter, you know, and, and I think that's a good place to have that conversation. I, you know, I think all of these things, you know, we, we've created new roles and new uh, ways to serve. And we need to have these, these questions of, does it make sense to limit whether or not a person can participate in this based on their gender? Or does it not make sense? Um, and each congregation has to decide for itself, does this make sense to limit this role to men? Does this make sense to limit this role to women? Does this make sense to um, to make this opportunity to serve open to everybody? And I, and I hope that we can have that conversation without being judgmental or yeah. critical. Um, I, I've seen it happen both ways. I've seen um, congregations uh, that have moved towards you know, let's say letting a woman run the AV, you know, and then somebody says, well, that's just wrong, you know, or whatever. And, and it's like, why, why is that? You know, why, why are you being so critical there? But I've also seen on the other side, I've seen, um, those that are moving towards erasing the distinction between men and women in their roles. I've seen them accuse more, what you might call traditional or conservative congregations of being abusive towards women. And it's like that, that type of language isn't really helpful on either side of it. And we have to be so very careful that we're not, this is a, this is a question of wisdom and discernment and, and taking biblical principles and applying them to new and different situations than they had in biblical times. And so we have to be, we have to be very understanding and gracious with each other on both sides of that depending on which direction that people go, um, and making sure that we don't violate any principles that we actually do find in Scripture, and at the same time, understanding why someone would want to be cautious when it comes to a role and say, you know what, we love our women and we love, you know, but but we're afraid, you know, whatever. I, you know, I, I think that there there's something to be said on both sides of it, but we have to be incredibly generous with each other. I apologize for the interruption, but if you're enjoying this Bible study, you might also enjoy the audio version of my book, Beyond the Verse. If you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can get the book for free with a 30-day free trial of Audible. Just visit radicallychristian.com slash audible. Now, back to the Bible study. Well, Wes, I'll preface this by saying, you know, like we've been talking about, there are a lot of ways to serve and they aren't and and certainly shouldn't be confined to just Sunday, just during the worship. And there's always going to be a lot of opportunities to serve as part of a church family uh, outside of that. But uh, I think it is a big deal. And I know I'm always very thankful for the opportunity that I get uh, to to serve in worship. And and recently, actually, I I thought of this, that um, when I was in a 
sort of our smaller service that takes place in our fellowship hall, uh, a brother got up to serve communion. And it was just one guy, and it was a big enough group that that was, that was going to take a while. And so I hopped up and grabbed a plate. And before that, you know, I was distracted. I wasn't all there. I wasn't present uh, during the worship. I wasn't, um, I wasn't engaging as much as I would have liked. And just by doing that, just by getting up and serving, it kind of snapped me back into where I was supposed to be. And I remember having this thought that, man, I hope everybody has something like that. I hope everybody has uh, something that they can do to sort of take them out of themselves and remind you know, each and every one of us why we're there, why we're really gathering together. And um, because I think it is, it is a big deal for us to serve, that we need it. We need it for ourselves, and, and I never want to uh, feel like I'm just consuming worship. You know, I do want to be, uh, I, I do want to have a hand in that. Uh, but like we've been talking about something, you know, we can't all do it every week. But uh, in the interest of speaking to the best motivation for having this discussion, I think there can be a lot of bad motivations on both sides of having this discussion about who should serve and who can serve and what's biblical. Um, but maybe the best motivation to have the discussion is, man, everybody needs opportunities to serve. Uh, as individuals, they need it, and we collectively need people to serve. We need everybody's hand in this. We need people's help. Um, I think that's why it's it's it, we have to come together. It's the communal part of our faith. Right. Right. That is so vital. Well, and and, that, and that's that brings up a tremendous point, and that that's actually Paul's point in First Corinthians fourteen, is that everything has to be done for edification, um, and that and that I do think that I, I don't know anybody else's motivation, you know, yeah. um, but but we all know our own. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we know our own actually. Now that I say that out loud, it takes you know, some work. Yeah, it does. It does. We really have to examine our motivation and ask why. Why am I doing this? Why am I pushing for this? Why am I pushing against this? Why am I, you know, why why am I holding this line? Um, why do I want to serve in this way? Um, why do I not want to serve in other ways? Yeah. Um, do I think those ways are beneath me? Mm. Do I do I feel like I would get more credit and more spotlight if I did this? Yeah. Um, you know, am I really looking out for other people's best interests? Am I really concerned with edifying other people and um, and and so we do, we we do we gotta we gotta ask those those questions of ourselves and and really just try to to build one another up and find ways to serve and that's you know one of my big frustrations I guess is that we so often confine what we think of as our opportunities to serve God to one or two or three hours a week and it's like there's so much so much more to that and. And I do, I do hate that we have made anybody feel less. I, I hate that we've made anybody feel less important, less significant. That yeah. wasn't Paul's intention. It's not Jesus' intention. That's not God's intention. Um, I, by recognizing and distinguishing between roles, that, that's not the point. 
or the purpose is to make anybody feel less important or less significant, but I know that has been the result of the way we've talked about it at times and the way we have drawn lines and drawn distinctions in in different things um, and made choices, and I don't want anyone to feel that way. Um, and, and I think that we have to be very careful in the way that we communicate and and very forgiving, you know, too, when, when people have made us feel that way or if somebody has made you feel that way. Um, but at the same time, we also have to recognize that that regardless of what limitations are put on us as men, women, as tongue speakers or prophets or interpreters or whatever, whatever limitation is put on us by the time restraints or whatever of the general assembly, there is, there are 167, is that right? 167 other hours outside of the one hour a week Mm -hmm. that we have to, um, to do other good things for God and for Jesus. So I, I, Paul is, obviously putting restrictions on not just women, but on various people, on most people that show up, on everybody but one person at a time has anybody that's not speaking at that time, and even that person himself that's speaking has restrictions upon him. And so does everybody else. As that person is speaking, everybody else is restricted from speaking. And so we all have restrictions placed on us. It's not, may we never may we never feel like or make other people feel like it's only women who are restricted. Mm. All of us are restricted. And sometimes we don't act like it. We act like, you know, you're restricted, but I'm not. I can do whatever I want to, but you can't. Like we only talk about quote unquote women's roles in a restrictive sense. Like here's what you're not allowed to do. Well, sort of a one-sided, upside-down, backwards way of having that conversation. Paul is presenting what he's saying in the context of the restriction he's putting on everybody. So there, you know, there's a positive and a negative to everything. In a negative sense, we all have tons of restrictions on what we're not allowed to do. Yeah. But on the positive side, there are a million things, countless things, more than a million, things that we are allowed to do. Go and do good. Do good to all men, especially the household of faith. Go and whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. I mean, there are so many good things that we have to do. Our time and propriety and confusion, whatever. There are all kinds of reasons that there are restrictions upon us given any assembly. (laughs) You can't talk as long as you want. Everybody that gets up doesn't get to stay up as long as they want. Not everybody that shows up gets to say something. There are all kinds of restrictions that the assembly puts on all of us. Even in serving, there are a lot of people that don't get to serve or can't serve, or they're not going to get to serve that week or whatever. Um, But don't let those restrictions limit your imagination Mm. of what's possible throughout the week to do for God. There are so many things, and and I hate that we've allowed that conversation around women's roles to become as toxic. And I'm not saying toxic as if one side is guilty and the other side is innocent. I, I think that a lot of us have contributed to the toxicity of that conversation. And I hope that today's conversation has been less toxic. Um, I hope that we, we've been able to speak of it in a positive way because 
really, there are so many opportunities, whether your particular church family, um, you know, has anybody passing out the trays. I wish there were just tables. That's how I wish it was. It was just like maybe tables up the side of the, of the building and everybody just reaches over and grabs the tray and passes it down. You know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you store it underneath the, the seat on one side and you just like, hey, everybody pick up the communion. It's under your t- chair. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, who knows? There's all kinds of different ways we could pass it out, but let's not let that conversation cause us to mistreat each other or to judge each other or condemn each other. Um, Man, the communion is supposed to bring us together. It's supposed to create in us, and that's one of Paul's big arguments against the church in Corinth. Uh, When he talks about in 1 Corinthians 11, the Lord's Supper, he says, "Your, your Lord's Supper is causing more problems than it's solving. It's supposed to bring unity and togetherness. May we never allow a conversation about how we pass out the trays to cause division amongst us. The communion should bring us together, not drive us apart. I really hope you enjoyed this Bible study, and I hope you'll subscribe to hear future episodes of the podcast. A big thank you to Travis Pauly, as well as our McDermott Road Church family for helping to make this podcast possible. And a special thanks to all of you for listening. We love you. God loves you, and we hope you have a wonderful day.